Is it your intention to continue to grow your beard? I'm not sure yet. Frankly, Jordy, I like the beard. Thank you, Commander. You know, I have always been a little suspicious of men in beards. Why is that? I don't know. It's as if they're trying to hide something. Hide? Don't be ridiculous, Doctor. The beard is an ancient and proud tradition. Mm. Some of the most distinguished men in history have worn beards, Doctor. I know, but after the razor was invented, I think beards became mostly a fashion statement. I'm not concerned with fashion. To a Klingon, a beard is a symbol of courage. I think it's a sign of strength. Sure, and of course, women can't grow beards. Doctor, it sounds to me like you feel that beards are nothing more than an affectation. I do. But there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, women wear makeup and nail polish. I just think it's time that you men admit it. My beard is not an affectation. Space. The final frontier. These are the recordings of the podcast, Give Me That Star Trek. It's ongoing mission to explore all of Star Trek, to seek out new guests and new opinions, to boldly go where many have gone before. Welcome to episode 34 of Gimme That Star Trek, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Siskoid, and today's episode is called To Beard or Not To Beard. <laughs> and we're looking at beards in the Star Trek universe. Who wears them? What do they mean? I am myself beardless, and it would be hard-pressed to grow a beard, <laughs> or even a the thinnest coat of facial hair. So to talk about this, I've invited a bearded man who may or may not model himself on Commander William Riker. From Radio vs. the Martians, it's Casey Doran. Welcome to the show, Casey. Oh, thanks, Cisco. Thanks for having me here. Uh, I'm just returning the favor because, as your listeners may know, we just did this amazingly huge, long, where we tried to wrap up all of what we loved about Deep Space Nine in, I don't know, two and a half hours, and then we promptly forgot to talk about Odo. So Yeah, and then did an extra hour, <laughs> yeah. and, and still did not talk about Odo. And it, it's largely my fault. Uh, I, I kept changing the subject whenever Odo came up. Well, I, we enjoyed it, and uh, I'm happy to be on your show. Mike's been on, Mike, my co-podcast partner, I say that ten times fast, has been on your show once before, and um, I think maybe... In our pre-show banter, you learned that I had a beard that was like Commander Riker, so hopefully I'm the inspiration for this show. You are, actually. Awesome! <laughs> well, well, before we get into it, Casey, the listeners need you to prove your Star Trek cred uh, with our usual quiz. So let's see what kind of tricky you are. Sure. The first question is, and you can take as much time or as little time as you want on these, why are you a Trek fan? I think Star Trek, to me, is kind of the pinnacle of sort of optimistic sci-fi storytelling on television and you know like a lot of other people it's sort of for me it's inexorably intertwined with watching tv when you're young and watching the original series on reruns and then at some point in time i think i was probably in second or third grade maybe when the first tng uh, season came around i very much remember someone who was being in a 
Christian school in Oregon and being at a at a bowling alley at an offside event and someone this guy who was much older much a very nerdy older guy saying oh are you gonna watch Star Trek this weekend because Q from the first episode is going to be back and I was like I don't know what you mean I don't know what Q is I don't know Star Trek the next generation and it kind of blew open my curiosity and I think after that point I watched it all the way through I watched DS9 and Voyager I went off to college and didn't finish both of those and since then, I think I've just been inhaling everything Star Trek, uh, with the exception of, I think, the last half of Discovery. I, I think I'm like you, uh, Siskoid. I think all Star Trek is valid Star Trek, so I'm not one of those people who says, this is my Spock or this is my Enterprise. Um, I think it's all good. Even if it's all good, you do have a favorite iteration of the show, I imagine. What might it be? It's definitely TNG, for sure. When it was in reruns, I recorded like every afternoon after school on VHS when it was in syndication and knew the episodes and somewhat know the episodes back and forth now. I've said over and over again on my show that... Uh, I think Riker is the POV character for TNG, and so I think I've modeled my life after Riker. I'm ever in search of that Jean-Luc Picard. No, I just, I think it was right is at the right time for me as a kid, but it was also at a certain time in North American or world history where the Cold War was over, and so the Star Trek TNG reflected this kind of, like, oh, it could be this. You know what, it could, like, we could get over ourselves and it could be this, and I glommed on so much to that particular flavor that particular facet of the star trek universe and i and it's part of my being now well the next question is what's your favorite character well from any iteration is it Riker? is it uh I, no Riker is certainly not my favorite character i it, i want to say spock i feel like that's the easiest by far the easiest uh, the cop out for a, a trek fan to say but it it really has to remind has to be john luke picard the captain who he doesn't shoot first and ask questions later he ask questions first and then shoots later. And there's something about that sort of the one who's the diplomat, the one who's the intellectual, who's the sort of the polymath that makes for an, a great aspirational character. And he can also kick some ass too at the same time. So I think it's it's got to be the old Baldy for me. Okay. <laughs> and the last question is, what's your favorite alien species from the Trek universe? Oh, oh. Did we ever, I don't think we ever saw the Iconians. I don't think you ever actually see the Iconians. They're the sort of phase shift ancient civilization mm -hmm. that left a few portals in their wake. The, the mythos of the Iconians was always the most interesting, but uh, as far as species that we have seen, I gotta say the Klingons. The way that uh, Ronald D. Moore and crew sort of flushed Klingons out from TNG Season 3 on made it endlessly fascinating. They, they kind of did a Ronald D. Moore reboot of the TOS Klingons, which were very much a Russian analog and kind of very much one-dimensional and brought a lot of other influences and made Klingons the most fleshed out uh, alien species maybe until you get to ds9 but still klingons for me they'll they'll always be the the badass warriors that i associate most with trek aliens i still like that you pulled out the iconians out of there <laughs> from uh, contagion <laughs> yes that's a deep cut yeah speaking of cutting hair cutting beards yeah. uh, <laughs> what a segue yeah. we're talking about beards so obviously sure. riker's beard but mirror spock's beard other characters have had beards have not had beards and then had beards looking at it researching it i think beards do have a meaning on the show yeah i think there of course the i think the stereotype is and you'll see this parody whenever sort of a knowing tv show wants to make a parody where they have an evil character who automatically has a sort of spock 
in the, from the Mirror Universe goatee. I actually like, and I say that that goatee, goatee is more like an Anton LaVey, the founder of Satanism kind of goatee, because mm. it when a character has that exactly that kind of beard, it kind of evokes a, a you know a quiet troubling evil in behind their personality but uh the funny thing is is the further along you go if you when you leave tos the era of tos where most of the actors and i don't know how many actual beards there were other than spock's beard in tos but there weren't very many beards which klingons klingons had beards yeah and they were evil but i mean it very much reflected if you were to be on the deck of a U.S. Navy aircraft carrier in the 19, late 1960s, pretty much all the people in the Navy would look like the people on the, on the Enterprise, even though you would presume that by the 23rd century, it would be okay to wear a beard and not shameful. <laughs> but it wasn't really until you moved into sort of TNG era where I guess we had the more lax social standards of the 80s and 90s, where you started to see humans with beards that weren't obviously evil characters. There is a question as to whether or not Mirror Spock is actually evil Spock because, you know, he's the one that's more reasonable. He's not necessarily evil, even though his universe is morally skewed. Right. And don't they even make a mirror universe sort of canon references to say that it was sort of the prime universe's enterprise's intervention that basically kind of awoke in mirror universe Spock a sense of what the empire could be and thereby disrupted their entire timeline. That also seems like Spock is that even if he's in an alternate dimension full of like bloodthirsty humans, um, he can still figure out his way to logic out the, the right way to do it. You know, the most just way. Right. And yeah. you know, through the movie era, we do get a couple beards. Mr. Kyle now has a beard. McCoy, Oh, uh, yeah. grows a beard while he's on while he's retired. I guess Cybok. McCoy has the uh, I've just been disco dancing and doing coke for five years kind <laughs> of beard. It's when he shows up in motion picture with that beard. It is it's probably it's even more striking I think than seeing Spock on his home world and refusing the idic because he still has something st- stirring in his soul. When you see McCoy off the transporter pad, you just think, man, this guy has been in so many strip clubs in so many places in the Federation, and he's recalled back and he just has not had time to shave. Is there a notion uh, among bearded people? <laughs> so I'm, I'm playing the, the card where I don't even know what a beard is. Sure. But is there a stigma? Do people think that people with beards are somehow more slovenly? So like that McCoy, that version of McCoy, has just let himself go? Is that what the beard <laughs> is supposed to mean? He's a hermit on, a, on an island and he doesn't... He doesn't give a, you know, a frack about anything. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think the the question would be is, I guess there are two, there are two points to that question is, at the time when they're making these, who the what the, what does the audience think? They're sort mm. of where they're trapped in. And the second is, in this point in Star Trek history, what does the Federation and humans in general think about beards? I always like to think that, you know, if you're if you're taking the second question first, that the Federation kind of doesn't mind what you do so long as you aren't really messing with anyone else. So I figure that they think if you're going to slam heroin all day and just fall asleep in the streets, so long as you're not like throwing up on someone else's sneakers, the Federation is probably going to be fine. And they'll have maybe someone will come out and say, hey, do you want some help? And if you don't, they'll say that's fine. Such as it is with beards, I assume maybe there are rules at Starfleet Academy. Maybe they make you shave your beard. I'm not sure. But I assume this, that Starfleet's okay with it. Now, if it comes time to doing a, you know, Star Trek the motion picture in the 70s or the original series, white men society and beards were, beards were reflective of the, uh, you know, the hippie children, the wild 
crazy children who don't care anything about themselves and their music and their crazy cultural, their crazy uh, sexual revolution. And uh, so even actually, was it the uh, the TOS episode? Is it called the, not the Apple of Adam. The Way of Eden. The Way of Eden, yes. Mm-hmm. Even those hippies don't have beards, which is strange. I guess they just, they were so averse to portraying beards if unless it was like a Telluride or something, I guess people didn't like to see beards on TV, I suppose. And you have to get to the 80s or 90s, I suppose, before beards become a socially acceptable thing such that a main character can have one. So let's talk about that first main character beard. It's Riker. Oh, yes. Yes. A lot of people think he comes into his own once he has a beard. And <laughs> let's... Well, let's note also, we said, well, it's, it's, it's Riker. It isn't, actually. It's Worf, isn't it? Worf is the first one to have a beard on the bridge and to be a main character and in the, be in the opening credits and he has a beard. We're just glossing over it because he's a Klingon and they, they all wear beards. So it's a wonder the women don't wear beards. Yeah. <laughs> in that, in that way, I kind of, you kind of felt like you could take that joke from Lord of the Rings about the female dwarves who have beards too. Um, right. But we we know that's not the case. We we know that the there are beautiful, buxom, sexy, non-bearded Klingon females. So we, yes. we definitely know that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess you're right. Worf is the first main character to throw a beard, and it exists from the precedent of the sort of the goatee era of TOS uh, Klingons, which they all mm-hmm. have that Anton LaVey kind of goatee beard. And when they developed the makeup for the Klingons, they made the Klingons more complicated in, in everything. Their, you know, their outfits, their boots, their hair. Of course, their foreheads are the biggest thing. And that one thing is, I guess, if they're manly men, if they're very masculine, they've got to have that you know, that kind of Fu Manchu soul patch, or I don't know what you would call it. Like just, it is a goatee of sorts, but it's its own thing. And yeah, I don't, there's never a time when Worf shaves it off. You never see that. And the only kind of uh, unbearded Klingons that you ever see on TNG are just young kids. Alexander Rajanko or other kids at the Klingon festival or something. I guess they're like Sikhs in that respect. It's kind of their cultural thing if you're a man to grow a beard and to keep it uh, that beard on your face and to shave it off is to say, well, I'm not as much of a warrior. Right. And Worf does mention the beard. There are discussions about beards on the <laughs> yes. show. Yes. Uh, and he says it is a symbol for Klingons. It is a symbol of courage. <laughs> and wasn't that also the same discussion where Dr. Crusher says... You know, beards are an affectation of an earlier age. Like, you don't need beards to keep you warm anymore. They're just something that we do because humans used to do this. And then, well, what about makeup? You know, like, makeup is an affectation, too. So beards are the makeup, the eye makeup, you know, the eyeliner of the Federation, I guess. The men in Star Trek, even as far as back as TOS, there is a, uh, a well, an affectation uh, that has to do with hair. They have all these little, you know, pointy sideburns. Yes. <laughs> that had to be applied on actors. You know, that's not the, the actual... For a long time, I never even noticed it until I saw some sort of, I don't know, DVD extra or uh, Entertainment Tonight kind of uh, spot where you saw all these little, you know, just, just talk about makeup and hair and they're applying these little points, uh, yeah. which are supposed to kind of be the Enterprise badge, the Starfleet badge in hair form, um, just to be like sleek and science fiction-y. And so... so all the men have their hair, you know, styled exactly in this way at th- that spot on their faces, unless a beard hides it, of course, or unless you don't have enough hair for that to happen. 
They, they don't apply them on Boleans or Picard. No, they don't. No. So hair is is the male sort of affectation. It is, and uh, I mean, you're you, like I said. I think that the hairstyles in the TOS are, of course, just total slaves to that era of being in America in the late '60s and adults wearing hair a certain certain kind of way. And I think a long sideburn, which is basically the beginning of it, it's like a little sapling. If a beard is a tree, the sideburn is a sapling that's going <laughs> to grow that's going to grow into a full beard. A nicely well-shaven, well-shaped set of sideburns is I think as much as the Starfleet, I guess the Starfleet manual of grooming <laughs> can let you get away with. I guess. Because what Beverly says, uh, if we look at the full quote, she says that she's always been a little suspicious of men that wear beards, as if they were trying to hide something. Is the beard hiding something? Yeah, I, I, if you're talking about those of us that do tend to wear beards and who do it as, I guess, it's half of a ch- half of a personal choice, I suppose, because uh, if you just choose not to do anything, and if you if your ancestry is from certain parts of the world, you will just end up growing a beard by default. So it's like painting a fence white. You can't just paint it once white and kept it stay white. You've got to keep painting it over and over again. As soon as you reach a certain age to be clean shaven, it is work. It is definitely some kind of work. And I think that's probably where the sort of side notion of it being slovenly comes from. But there are many other reasons other than just maybe being like, well, I think it fits the shape of my face better. There are a lot of people with weak chins out there. There are people who have, we don't all have sort of the glorious chiseled features of Hollywood actors. And so sometimes people who have a chin that is unfortunately sort of melting into your face or just not very prominent. A beard can do an awful lot to give your face sort of a more angular direction. And so it can end up making one of your sort of Zod-given features a little more distinctive if you are someone who wears a beard. So there's part of it there that it is or it is ornamentation of a sort and an attempt to try to make you look more attractive, less that it is covering up i guess it could be something that you're covering up things that are unattractive my my dad wore a mustache for most of his life and he was uh he was bitten by a dog and so he had a scar on his upper lip and so he wore a mustache for the longest time to cover up a scar i think most people are using it in in the here and now the current age are using it as kind of an extension of their personal style less than they are a uh you know to cover up evil schemes uh, or <laughs> to make themselves not as recognizable to CCTVs. I'm not sure what it is. Facial recognition. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the same is true for people who go beardless in, in a way, because if I go beardless, it's because I can't grow... Well, it's not because I can't grow full beard. The, the image of myself, my identity, when I think of myself, it is as a beardless person. And maybe that's, I didn't have much of a choice. But, you know, when you're trying to grow it and it's just in patches and it's it's never going to look good, then it is as much of a cosmetic choice. Sure. Since you mentioned sideburns, which is actually not something that I rolled around in my head, probably my – and maybe you were going to ask this by the end of the show, but I mean, I just – I have to say it. My, it. my favorite beard moment for the, uh, the entire series – I mean, I guess you could have said the joke when Data tries to grow a beard and it's a hilarious prosthetic – of fake hair. But I think my favorite moment is there is a Deep Space Nine episode, I believe it is in season three. Apparently, Commander Riker's coming to visit and he really wants to see the Defiant. And uh, they say, oh, well, he's Commander Riker, that's fine. And he sort of steals it. And then right before the cutoff to the commercial, you see him reach his hand up and peel off both of his sideburns to reveal his goatee. And thus it is Thomas Riker. So the Thomas <laughs> Riker, the doppelganger reveal 
is, I think, the best use of it, like, tactical use of a beard in all of Star Trek. It is good, uh, yeah, <laughs> I have to say. But you mentioned uh, Data's uh, funny beard. Oh, yeah, yeah. A fine, full, dignified beard. One which commands respect and projects thoughtfulness and dignity. When I stroke the beard thusly, do I not appear more intellectual? So he's doing it for cosmetic reasons as well. Uh, and we have other imitators. There's a big discussion on beards because Jordy grows one. Yep. Very short-lived beard for Jordy. Yeah, just a couple episodes. Yep. Uh, I think the problem was probably that LeVar Burton, who wears a beard in life, you know, he, he wanted to have it. Maybe there's just too much stuff on his face because of the visor. That's, that's right. I mean, there's one thing that that you can say about LeVar Burton, who, is an, who was an amazing accomplished actor in his own right before TNG, is that for someone as an actor to essentially cover up half of their face, including their eyes, which... Actors do acting with with their eyes, as well as lots of other things. It probably was a big deal for him to try to have to get over and to emote, to physically emote without the use of his eyes. If he just covered a, a carpet full of hair on his face, I think it would have been even harder for him to get his point across. He finally got to wear a beard um, from Insurrection on, so for the last two movies. Right. But by that time, he's not wearing a visor anymore. See, so I'm, that's why I'm pretty sure the problem was too much going on, yeah. hiding the actor's features. Yeah, yeah. and I, I will say though that I didn't know this. I, you know, the the topic of beards, uh, just in pop culture, but in life, is uh, has been heightened of late because I think they've been sort of in fashion over the last ten years. And I remember reading that in the United States there was a supreme. It went to the Supreme Court that employers could not compel their employees to shave their beards. And the reason why is that there are some people, depending on where their ancestry is from and the pigment of their skin, that for some people, shaving their beard might give them these really super painful spots on their skin that then bleed. And so there are people who end up growing beards because the prospect of shaving them to a certain degree might mean that they're going to cut their face up more. And to compel for an employer to say, well, you've got to shave your beard if you want to work in this Applebee's here is now illegal, at least in this country. So some people are wearing beards because it's preferable to having a bloody face. Okay, here's the here's the big comment that, you know, that I've researched and found. And it's that Riker gets a beard in the second season. Sure. Right. So there is a question as to whether or not Riker is as good a character without the beard, <laughs> or if he needs the beard to really come into his own. And people have used this to say, well, look at the show entirely, and how long it took to actually itself come into its own, find its way, find its voice. And that the act of Riker growing a beard is a metaphor for the show itself growing to maturity yes from trying to emulate tos as a kid and then growing up and becoming its own thing does that sound like a legitimate i mean i think it's a great fan theory i think it's a i think it, it actually rings true from i mean I, I i it's probably a coincidence obviously that uh jonathan frakes came back from the the hiatus and then with the beard, and then he probably had to convince some producers to say, okay, well, this, this, uh, I'm gonna do a beard now, right? right? Men can have beard. If, uh, if Picard can be bald, I can have a beard. We can do, we can do opposites. Um, I believe that it's a great metaphor because it is true that it, it, it was only towards sort of the last few episodes of the second season and into the third season that TNG kind of got its legs going, kind of got its momentum going up that hill of trying to, to grow out of, 
just being an imitator, just being a kind of a carbon copy and retake. How does they try? They basically retook a lot of the plot points and directly ripped some plot points from the original series. And really, I think by the time you get to season three, it is not an adolescent anymore. It's a young adult. So you can see that. And Riker himself is a fascinating guy for his character arc, such as it is, to track over the course of the series because by the time you get to the best of both worlds is you're finally see Riker closing in you're not only seeing the show come into its maturity but you're kind of seeing Riker finally come to the point where he really has to deal with the fact that he's a good enough officer that he could have his own command and he's been offered it several times mm-hmm. and it becomes a plot point through this two-parter this sort of season uh, season ender season opener that you know the starfleet is op- is uh, pulled out the chair for riker several times and if he doesn't take it he's going to be seen as standing still and he's given he's sort of given his chance to prove himself because picard is kidnapped and turned into a borg and riker says okay well i'm going to be the captain now and what do i have to do to be the captain i have to kill picard and he does he says you know he, with a, with an amazing close-up of that great beard, that great Riker beard, he says fire, well knowing that if they f- succeed at doing what they think they're going to be doing, they're going to destroy that Borg ship and then kill Picard and everything, and everything, any hope of, of recovering Picard is going to be gone. So I think it's a great metaphor for Riker as a character. Unfortunately, Riker as a character is just, the beard might be an apt metaphor too, because, you know, if, if a rock sits on the ground too long, it grows moss. Right. And if a you know if a man is falls asleep, if Rip Van Winkle falls asleep, he grows a big beard. And so that also too can be said as part of Riker's arc is maybe he's stagnant. Maybe for too long he's hanging on the coattails of John Luke Picard. And sure, you get all the way to season seven, you know, seven years. They base they've saved the universe how many times over? Riker still says, "Oh well, I'll, I'll just be I'll be number one. I'll still be number one." And mm-hmm. he is that beard. He's that beard growing on that old man, getting grayer and grayer, and sort of not choosing to move forward and that to me that means he doesn't get i think a full arc a full loop of an arc like a lot of other characters do it goes back to that idea the word slovenly but for for Riker, it's i think his time on the enterprise is that he's comfortable that's his main flaw his lack of ambition is is his comfort yeah. He's abandoned what Thomas Riker still wanted, you know, that I want to be captain by such an age or whatever. But he's found a family. He's found a home. And now he's comfortable. He's growing it out. <laughs> you know, yes. uh, yeah, that makes complete sense for the character. Uh, not that they necessarily had that intent, but you can definitely read that into it. And you know what? It also ties into the, the, the next big beard because the next big beard is Cisco. What is this? I thought it was time for a change. I like it. And he also grows it out later. So he has like that test makeup prosthetic beard in Explorers, and that convinces the producers to to let him have his own beard, which is, you know, wispier than than that uh, fake one. He becomes bald, just like Picard, and he has the beard just like Riker. And that happens later. So at first I thought, you know, going into this, I was thinking, well, it's... It's the same for D Space Nine, uh, for Cisco himself. He starts out as, as a commander, starts out as someone who doesn't really want to be there, and then he grows up, and the show and him they mature, and then suddenly the beard for the rest of the the, the run. <laughs> but it's not just maturing; it's also growing roots because he becomes attached to that station. He, that it becomes its his home, regardless of you know what he thought of it. That becomes his home. Being the emissary becomes part of his identity. He 
really puts down roots in a way that no other starship captain on these shows can ever do. And there's the beard as the symbol of that, which I think matches both points made about Riker. Yeah, and I would say the funny thing about Cisco is that you you see some of the transitional forms because he goes from having hair and no goatee to this sort of estuary period where he's like he has hair and he has a goatee. And then he loses the hair. He like the hair has to migrate from the top to the bottom of his head for him to finally get it. But yeah, I think when I watch the uh, What We Left Behind documentary, which just came out, which if you haven't seen it yet or if your listeners haven't, it's fantastic. They do have a point, and I won't be spoiling this for you. I mean, they do have a point where to say that Avery Brooks basically was trying to lobby the producers to have that beard, as he said, you know. This is the way I feel. This is the way I feel the character should look. I mean, this, you know, he comes from New Orleans. He's got that culinary tradition with his dad's restaurant. He's also a, a pianist, I guess. They established later that Cisco plays the piano. So he kind of has this if I'm going to get more comfortable, if I'm going to say, screw this sort of button down Starfleet starship lifestyle that I really didn't like to begin with. I'm going to go full-on Cisco. I'm going to be the Cisco in the way I want to. It means, you know, having him look distinct. Um, and certainly, there aren't too many instances in Starfleet with the bald guy and the goatee. I've seen that look one other time in Star Trek, but it's uh, when Riker gets captured by the Romulans, and he's in, like, in a Romulan holodeck. Future Imperfect is the name. And uh, they sort of flash forward 15 years or something, and Riker wakes up, and he has a lot of gray in his beard, and... Uh, Picard joins the Romulan ambassador on the ship, and Picard is now an, a, his, himself an ambassador, and he's got a long, gray Fu Manchu beard. It is not really Picard, it's just a clever illusion meant, made by the Romulans to try to extract sensitive information from Riker. But it also has probably one of the best Riker scenes ever, where he says, Shut up to Picard. I beg your pardon, Picard replies. And he says, As in, close your mouth and stop talking. And you get this great reaction, look of reaction on Patrick Stewart's face of, How dare you talk to me like that? It's just the insubordinate Riker that you never get to see. It is a, uh, a thing that you do, you know, Beards is, uh, okay, alternate universe, Beards. Yes. But also... Oh, we're in the future. Beards. You know, people have gotten older. Beards. So it, it's, you know, it's shorthand for things have changed, for people have aged, for people are slightly different and maybe a slight, you know, slightly uh, uh, more uh, menacing or, you know, they've got a mustache they can twirl now. Right, right. <laughs> it's shorthand that way. So I think that's why they did it for Patrick Stewart a couple times in yes. you know, the season finale as well. Yep. And then after all of this, Voyager, Enterprise... Yeah. The reboot films? Yep. Where are the beards? Yeah. I, what happened? I still think there is that conservatism that is native to Star Trek that, you know, they just don't want people to be freaked out. I don't know how, to, how best to put it. Is There is some kind of innate conservatism to Star Trek, even when you're pushed in, pushing into the TNG or DS9 sort of time frame. They want to rock the boat because they still want to do what good sci-fi does, which is tell compelling sort of stories that have a moral angle that also are relatable to humans living now watching this on TV. But they also are really shy about things. Like, I, I take the example of when they finally wanted to deal with relationships between two sexes, they sort of copped out and had a, a show where Riker falls in love with kind of a non-binary, a, a being from a non-binary world who thinks that it, she's supposed to be a she, and the world punishes her for wanting to choose a gender as sort of a, this is an allegory, I guess, for discrimination against people who are homosexuals. But it, of course, cops out because it, they, they put it in this 
weird thing where she wants to be a woman and Riker has to love a woman because Riker can't love anything other than a woman because he's Riker, right? It's just that kind of conservatism where they're so they can be so cautious about telling some stories that they just don't seem to strike out and be as bold as you'd imagine the 24th century would be. And I don't know how to quantify that other than maybe just producers are conservative. Producers and what they think they can sell to audiences and yeah. and certain parts of the country or certain places where it's being syndicated aren't as liberal-minded as so others. So I understand why this stuff is like that, but it took until discovery until we could have a gay male relationship yeah. uh, on on a Star Trek show. Uh, and uh, discovery is going to be the one that's going to bring back a beard anyway. With the you know, there's a bearded young Spock. Yeah, you'll, you'll so, have to tell me more about that because I I know about it only through clips. I haven't sort of reached right. there yet. And uh, you don't normally think about. Spock growing a beard, although we know Vulcans can grow beards. I think in Enterprise, there were a couple bearded Vulcans. And plus, in the Mirror Universe, usually have beards, I think. It's right, right. Uh, it's, it's a Vulcan thing. So, of course, he can, and it's fan service in a sense. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to spoil anything for you, but it's fan service because bearded Spock is a thing. Right. Um, and then, uh, so here it's used to, to show, uh, you know, it's used in other ways that we've already talked about. To me, it's a strange idea based solely on the fact that part of the otherness of Spock, because Spock was, if not the first alien that Star Trek portrayed, one of the first aliens, and of course the most prominent alien species the show portrayed, they really, really wanted to sort of sell a sort of a demonic form. That was sort of their idea of giving him pointed ears, giving him a, a cast to his skin, like a green cast to his skin, to make him seem weird and other. And through all of the uh, the sort of iterations from the TV iterations to the movie iterations and his guest spots, you just don't see Nimoy wearing a beard. In fact, he's always so clean shaven that it almost looks like Spock doesn't quite have hair follicles. Although, maybe he has some stubble in the motion picture, now that I'm thinking about it. I'm, I'm uncertain, but your view of him, when you get those great close-ups in TOS of Leonard Nimoy's face as Spock, you just feel like, this is like marble. It's just made right out of marble, and hair cannot come through these pores. Could we say, if we look back at that Voyager Enterprise beardless era, could we use the same arguments that we used before and say they never grew up? Those shows never matured and maybe that's why they're not as embraced by uh, certain fans as others i suppose so i would posit that voyager i can't do much to defend but i mean with enterprise which i've probably seen watched through again more recently i can say that the enterprise had to thread that needle where sure it was a new show but it was a show that was took place before Kirk and Spock. So, you know, the way that they designed the uniforms to the way that they designed, you know, the ship itself and the bridge, they kind of had to do this thing where they say, this ship sort of visibly has to look some like something new, but it also has to look like something that could be morphing into the types of consoles and computers and hallways and Jeffrey's tubes that you would see on TOS. And that could extend also to hairstyles, including beards or not beards. I would say, for Enterprise, you could say... Yeah, maybe because of the association with it trying to be right before TOS, and maybe they're sharing sort of the same style, um, you can give it a pass. But for Voyager, I think 
Voyager was just so such a strange idea that it was the the sort of counter reaction I think to DS9 which said uh wait maybe we do have to have a Star Trek show where they go out into space and we'll just send them out into really far space so yeah it that felt like kind of a lurch back to more traditional representation I suppose but as for maturity as for whether or not I felt like Voyager or Enterprise had Enterprise didn't get the chance I'd say Enterprise got canceled too early before I could make that judgment and I think Voyager really never did claw its way up past a certain point of being the kind of a series that sort of transcended what it started as. Unlike DS9, I think, and TNG, which both in their own ways grew and morphed and sort of superseded the sum of their parts. TNG was trying to be TOS and then found its way. And then DS9 was trying to be TNG and then found its way. And then Voyager tried to be TNG and was... <laughs> sort of thing you know it, it never it sort of copied what tng was doing well into an era where that wasn't necessarily relevant anymore or that kind of storytelling seemed old-fashioned yeah at the end and i would i would actually imagine that if you're on a ship that is 80 years from home and they're gonna let some things be more lax i i would assume the grooming policy too you know you could say well you could you give yourself a pair of mutton chops, you know? Tom Paris can grow some mutton chops. Why not let him... I guess Neelix had that, <laughs> oh, yes, <laughs> that, that market cornered. That's true. That's true. I, that, that reminds me, this is one thing I didn't... We didn't uh, talk about it as just as notable facial hair. Mark Alemo's first appearance as a Cardassian. Cardassians had these very strange mutton chop looking beards that went out to the corners of their mouths that was never seen again in uh, through, <laughs> throughout the no. series. It's Gulmaset and that's it. Yes, that's totally it. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, well, you know what? That that makes a point because I think that if aliens are going to be a part of your show and they're going to have to have prosthetics all the time and maybe beards or facial hair interferes with that. So Klingon beards are all prosthetics. Nobody is wearing their own beard, I, at least I don't think so, or most of the time. So because it's going to be applied and there's so much makeup applied. So uh, I think the same thing is is true of anyone who has like a different skin color. Yes. So you can't have bearded Bolians unless, you know, we're going to give them prosthetic beards, which is just another design element that you got to add on to it. So anyone who's wearing a lot of makeup is going to have, they're going to be clean shaven because it's easier to apply the makeup. That kind of opens the door for humans to have all the beards. So I'm surprised that more humans don't. But then, you know, as uh, maybe Discovery, for example, is very much female-led. Of course. So that leaves fewer characters to wear the beards. Does Hugh Kilber have a beard? Am I? Am I? Yeah, he's got a beard. So yeah, Discovery brings back beards. I think actors now uh, in general have more beards because I think there is an aspect to that that, yeah, if you're going to be one of those actors who's going to get a lot of makeup uh, put on you because you're going to play aliens and sort of specialize in that kind of stuff, you're not going to normally have a beard. And uh, if you're, you're just playing human characters, I think a lot of actors just keep it beardless because if they want to do a guest spot on something else or and then that character doesn't necessarily have a beard, do I shave my beard? Do they make me shave my beard? And I have to go back to the, the show and there are discrepancies. So I think actors kind of try to keep a specific look if they're going to be on a series and never change that look because, you know, the series doesn't allow you to. So what Jonathan Frakes did in between seasons he did it in between seasons, you know, right, so, right. yeah, he, he made it happen. He wanted this uh, and he sort of forced their hand sort of thing, proved that it would look good. You know, if you have a beard one episode and not and in another episode and then, oh, we have to redo a scene from the last show where you didn't have a beard 
it becomes very complicated. So yeah, it, it reminds me of Superman's mustache is what I'm just thinking of now in this day and age. We have a precedent for that. <laughs> and it did not look good. No, no. I was thinking, too, that maybe, I mean, since we are sort of in an era where in the world, the Western world, at least, people are more, I think they're more free to wear their hair and beards and lots of different uh, different permutations. But I think now, I think tattoos are the new beards. And if you think about it, with the exception of maybe like, I think in DS9, there's a guy who's Maori. He's a New, a new Zealander who might have some, some kind of tattoos. And I think the Romulans from Star Trek 2009 have some tattoos. And of course, Chicote, the face tattoo master. You know, humans don't, in Star Trek, don't have tattoos. They don't have that, like, traditional Navy mermaid on the shoulder or an anchor or a heart with mom. You just don't normally see Starfleet officers with tattoos, let alone neck or face tattoos. Especially if the tattoos were made, you know, if that's the actor's tattoo. Right. (laughs) Probably going to be anachronisms on those tats. Probably. (laughs) So, yeah. So And a lot of actors have to cover them up or CGI them away in, in any given movie because it is so such a distinctive thing that all your characters cannot have that thing necessarily. This is true, this is true especially if it's in supposed to be 500 years in the future, for sure. Especially, especially <laughs> then. Any final thoughts on Star Trek Beards? Yeah, I, I had one that I needed to mention, is that uh, we have so far operated under a very strict notion, uh, definition of what a beard might be. And I, But I think my favorite Star Trek franchise beard might be is Zayal, because okay. as we know, Garrick is a closeted gay Cardassian, and if you need <laughs> if you need a woman on your arm to sort of cast aspersions at people's assumptions that you might be an eligible bachelor or not, she's your beard. So for me, <laughs> Zayal is Cardassian or is Garrick's beard. She's my favorite beard in all of Star Trek. Wow. Well, <laughs> that that opens up a whole can of worms that we won't get into, but people can leave uh, comments, of course, and continue that discussion at fireandwaterpodcast.com or, you know, write with your complaints to Radio vs. the Martians. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, please do. Yeah, Casey, speaking of uh, Radio vs. the Martians, what have you got on tap on, on your part of the potosphere? Um, I think we are closing out the year. We've got a few things coming up. We're actually going to do, I think we're going to end up doing a return of Hex and Violence, which is our sort of very, very occasional exploration of Jonah Hex, the Western DC character that we love it to death. It just just tends to get crowded out. So I think there will be a Jonah Hex coming up. Stay tuned for that. And the next... I don't know if we've announced it. I'll just make this where we announce it. The next Arnold Schwarzenegger movie we're doing on Podcast La Vista Baby will be Red Sonja, his not Conan the Barbarian movie where he also plays a Conan the Barbarian-like character. Yeah, just, I was going to say in name only, but no, in in, in everything except name. <laughs> yeah, that yes. is Conan. So yeah, and, and lots more stuff coming up for next year, which I think we're still pending it. But yeah, we're planning on going through all of the rest of, we're about halfway through Arnold's catalog. And we are planning on revealing something, another, a new series that's intended to supersede Podcast La Vista Baby when we actually finish all of his movies that we will reveal in 2020. So you can stay tuned for that. Awesome. All right. Well, I know they're waiting for you at the Dabo table. I'll (laughs) let you go back to it. Uh, You don't want to miss the turn of the ball. I I, I don't really know what happens in Dabo. (laughs) And I'll stick around for Subspace Transmissions, which is Star Trek news and listener feedback from our previous episode. Thanks again, Casey. Thank you so much, Discord. I had a great time. I'm Mike Gillis. And I'm Casey Doran. And we want to ask you an important question. 
Are you sick and tired of other panel discussion shows wasting your time droning on and on about foreign policy, economics, and human rights? Or do you want to hear conversations about things that actually matter? We host a podcast called Radio vs. the Martians. Every month we gather a panel of our nation's finest minds and plunge a rusty prison shank into the heart of tough questions that have an impact on the lives of real people like you. Like, are drivers required to pull over for the Ghostbusters? Is the United Federation of Planets actually an oppressive dictatorship run by guidance counselors? Is Arnold Schwarzenegger secretly a genius? And are we being mean when we laugh at movies that are so bad they're good? So write your congressman and let them know that Radio vs. the Martians is available on iTunes, Stitcher, and on RadioVsTheMartians.com. Incoming subspace transmissions in Star Trek news, filming as wrapped on Star Trek Picard, and you've already seen quite a lot of footage in the new trailer released at San Diego Comic-Con this summer. The show will prove to continue more than just Picard's story, but at the very least, Data's, Riker's, Troy's, and Seven of Nine's as well, and give the good captain what looks like a makeshift crew. I guess it's not Star Trek if there isn't a crew structure Though I was, I admit, hoping for Picard to break the mold. Still, the show will be preceded by book and comic book prequels, and they're talking about a second season already, with Robert Picardo, a.k.a. the Doctor from Voyager, in talks to appear. The Picard Show has also spawned a new line of Star Trek wines, including one bearing the name of Jean-Luc Picard's own winery. Wines That Rock introduces a collection of special vintages inspired by the Star Trek universe under license from CBS Consumer Products. Uh, the first two releases are a 2016 Chateau Picard Cru Bourgeois from Bordeaux and a special reserve United Federation of Planets Old Vine Zinfandel. The collection is available exclusively at StarTrekWines.com, and at 50 bucks a bottle, you might want to wait for a special occasion, like sitting down to watch Star Trek Picard, maybe. And the Deep Space Nine documentary, What We Left Behind, is out even on DVD after coming out first on Blu-ray, so there's no reason not to run to your preferred outlet and get your hands on a copy. I have mine and will soon sit down to watch it. And now a selection of your comments on our previous episode, uh, in which we discussed the nature of Deep Space Nine's profits. First, Gene Hendricks says that was very interesting, and I must say convincing as a theory, Siskoid. It's also the form of time travel that I like the most, the predestination kind. It's going to make the rest of my rewatch very interesting. We also have Brian Linton, who says, I'm totally on board with your theory regarding the nature of the prophets. It's similar to my own thoughts regarding the nature of beings that exist outside of space-time, but I've never thought to apply the theory to the prophets. Sounds like a great excuse for me to rewatch DS9 as if one needs an excuse. I particularly enjoyed your analogy of space-time as a room you can walk into and view in its entirety. I often use the analogy of space-time being like a tapestry. Say, for example, like the Bayeux tapestry. A being outside of space-time could see all of the events of the Norman conquest of England and perceive how they all flow together, one after the other, but still see all of those events as happening simultaneously from their point of view. A person with the proper tools and skill in embroidery could even alter those events, for example, embroidering a comet in the sky as an omen to William. As far as the people in tapestry are concerned, there was never a time when that comet didn't appear in the sky at that point in time. What I often wonder about is the experience of the observer or embroiderer outside of the tapestry. Do they remember what the tapestry looked like before they added the comet? Do they even have memories if they exist outside of space-time? I like your speculation on those sorts of issues. And you bring up an interesting notion, Brian. 
can you have memories outside of space-time if you're a timeless being? Because memories are things remembered from the past, and there is no past. So do you just have a consciousness of what you're looking at, what you're observing, what you're transforming. So memories aren't actually something the prophets would have per se. In your question about the embroiderer, once the embroiderer has put the comet there, the comet's always been there. So you're right that the point is sort of moot. You can't remember things. You can just be aware of them, and you are aware of that comet. That's all that counts. And finally, a short but sweet uh, response from Time Priest. The Time Priest gave, gives, will give this theory a thumbs up. The Fire and Water Podcast Network now has a Patreon page at patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. And give me that Star Trek accounts for but a fraction of more than a thousand podcast episodes available on the network. And while as its founders, we were happy to pay for hosting over our first three years of operation... It's gotten out of our price range. So if you like this content and you want more like it, think about leaving a one-time or monthly donation. It even unlocks rewards. So for example, for five bucks a month, you could get yourself on the Starfleet commendation list like acting ensign Doug Van Diver. Thanks, Doug, for your contribution and for acting, saving the ship countless times. Come back next month for your promotion. And as usual... Let me remind you that you too can leave comments at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on the Fire and Water Facebook page or on Twitter where we are FW Podcasts. Until the next episode, this is Siskoid reminding you to go boldly. <laughs> <laughs>